by what Christ is saying in this passage um, of the rich young ruler. So I want you to know that as I come and speak to you this morning, um, I'm sharing challenges that I've been going through, I'm still going through, um, and that have hit me really hard, you know. Um, So I hope that you can see some of the fruit out of this passage from the words of Jesus Christ. Um, We're going to read our passage of the rich young ruler, Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 17 through 22. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go. Sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Amen. There are some great teachings that come from this passage, and I am somewhat pushed for time, so I'm going to go through it at a quick pace. Um, but I have three key points which I want to bring out from this passage. So if you're taking notes, um, the first thing that I want to point out in this is the righteous discernment of Christ. The righteous discernment of Christ found in verses 17 through 21. Let's have a look first at verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We'll start by taking a quick step back and looking at the passage here. This account is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew describes this man who came to Jesus as a ruler. and oh, Sorry, Matthew describes him as young and Luke describes him as a ruler. They all describe him of being wealthy. Here we have a man of great wealth and great status. It is likely that he was recognizable to the people around him. For him to run up to Jesus, to throw himself at his feet is incredibly degrading to his social status, something you wouldn't expect of a man like that. He calls Jesus good teacher. The very question that he asks Jesus implies that he understands that Jesus is a man of great power who could answer this profound question because ultimately, That is the most profound question one could ask, really. How may I inherit eternal life? It's one on everyone's heart. Now, evangelism is difficult. Um, I'm sure there's many people here who could testify to that. I don't know if Paul Tabram's here, but I know he could testify to the fact that evangelism isn't necessarily easy. It's not always that you'll have someone come up to you, jump at your feet and say, how may I inherit eternal life? And then be incredibly willing to hear the answer. Jesus has here what I would call the slam dunk of evangelism opportunities. One that many Christians would probably just lead this man in a sinner's prayer and say, congratulations, you've said the sinner's prayer, you're saved, don't worry about hell. Many Christians would do that. Christ, however, discerned the heart of the ruler and he asked all the right questions. Let's look at verses 18 through 20. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. Immediately, we've got an incredibly interesting response from Jesus to which he challenges the young ruler immediately by saying, why do you call me good? None is good except God alone. 
I believe that here Jesus is giving the young ruler an opportunity to declare his deity, to say, I called you good because you are the son of God. I called you good because you are God. You are the true Messiah. And that's the question Jesus is essentially asking here. After that, Jesus lists off six of the Ten Commandments found in Exodus 20. Why he chose these specific ones isn't exactly clear. It may have been that these are areas of sin for the young ruler. What we do know is that Jesus is trying to make one thing clear. By the law, none can measure up, which compounds our need for grace and our need for Christ. And here, this is an absolute masterclass from Jesus as he is um, speaking to this young ruler. He's teaching the young man two key truths. And through this passage, he is teaching us two key truths about himself, about the gospel, about the nature of God. The first key truth he's taught us is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. The second truth he's taught us here is that all have sinned and cannot measure up to the standard set by the law. It's the key message of Romans 3, isn't it? None is good, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what Christ is teaching here. We begin to see, however, in verse 20, the lost state of this young ruler as he claims that he has kept all of these laws since his youth. Now, it is possible that he's been blameless in his external actions and his appearances, but his motives will not have always been perfect. Jesus compounds on the meanings of these commandments in Matthew 5 on the Sermon of the Mount when he says, if anyone hates his brother, he's committed murder in his heart. Or if anyone looks at a woman with lustful intent, he's committed adultery. You might say I'm speculating to say that this man was not sinless by the law, but he is about to show us very soon that he has fallen short of the very first commandment set out in Exodus 20, which is you shall have no other gods before me. So for him to claim he is blameless is a lie. And it shows how lost and deceived this young man is. And Jesus saw this. He saw the lost state of this man and his response in verse 21 at the start is incredibly powerful. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He loved him. What a picture of Christ that is this morning. Here Christ is in front of a man who is so clearly lost and deceived, deceived at the own nature of his own sin, but so sincerely seeking the truth. How amazing is it today that we have a saviour who sees us when we are sinners in our dirty and rebellious state. When we so often act in ways that are in rebellion to him, we fail to live in obedience to him. We fail to offer acceptable worship to him. Yet he loves us. He has compassion on us. He has mercy on us, even to the point of death on a cross to which he humbled himself, bearing our sin. We serve a loving and patient saviour that is shown in this passage. Now in the rest of verse 21 is when Jesus really brings this home. He understands that this is a man of wealth and status with the great kingdom on earth. In his righteous discernment, he wants to test the commitment of this ruler and ask him the question, are you really willing to follow me? 
Let's read the rest of verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go. Sell all that you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. This is not a blanket statement from Christ that all who want to follow him must sell all that they have and follow him because then, well, we're all not in a good place, are we? What Christ is doing rather is sending a very clear message that those who follow Christ must have Christ first in their life. Christ does not place second place in your life to this world. As I mentioned, the first commandment states, you shall have no other gods before me. Here Christ had a man come to him who was so eager to hear what he had to say that he completely threw himself at his feet, throwing away his social status. Christ was discerning, however, was able to see the true idolatry, which unless dealt with, would have kept this man from truly and completely following him. In these first few verses, then we have seen the righteous discernment of Christ. That was our first point. The second thing that I want to look at in this passage um, is the tragic delusion of the young ruler. The tragic delusion of the young ruler. This is something that we've already seen a snippet of in verse 20, as this young ruler claims that he is blameless by the law. But it's shown all the more clearly in verse 22. Let's read. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Let me say firstly that it says here that he was disheartened by the saying. This doesn't say that he went away for a couple of weeks and wrestled with it and thought it through and then came back to Jesus and went, nah. No. He was immediately disheartened. This shows more than anything that his wealth was his idol. In verse 22, we see this young ruler make the worst decision of his life. Unfortunately, it's a decision which is all too common in this world. It is a decision, it's a decision made with no true consideration of perspective or of the nature of Christ and his love. The young ruler was simply unwilling to part with his earthly possessions and treasures in order to pursue Christ fully and gain eternal life. The one thing that he came to Christ wanting. This is not something that should be viewed as a transactional relationship either. All are created with a void in their life, a vacuum in their heart, which can only be satisfied by God, by Christ. So many people in the world today, maybe people here, I don't know, seek to fill that void with things of the earth, with temporary pleasures to try and bring you joy, to fill that hole, but they will neither last nor completely satisfy. We are designed to be in relationship with Christ. Anything you try and put in that hole that is not Christ will not fit. Psalm 16, 11 says it very well. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What are you filling that hole in your life with today? Can I urge you that if it's not Christ to seriously Take a look at yourself. Take a look at your life and reconsider what you are doing to try and make you happy. What is trying to fill that void in your life? We are created to be in relationship with Christ. The Puritan Thomas Watson 
said this as he was discussing the delusion of filling your life with, filling this world with material possessions rather than of Christ. He said this, what fools are they who for a drop of pleasure drink a sea of wrath? What fools are they who for a drop of pleasure drink a sea of wrath? We are all those fools sometimes. Every time we choose to follow worldly desires rather than the will of God, we are being foolish, short-sighted and rebellious to a holy and loving God. This is not just applicable to money or wealth or possessions. Like this young ruler, we all tend to have idols in our life that we put in the place of Christ. Maybe it's our relationships. Maybe it's our status. Maybe it's our career. I don't know what it is for you, but I'd encourage you to consider that. This young ruler was faced with a decision which we all face in life. And may I urge you to be warned of his foolish response. Satan will will seek to distract you with temporary pleasures of this world, but that's all that it is. It is temporary. The story teaches the tragic result of a life that is unwilling to yield to Christ and follow him. Rather, the rich young ruler chooses his own wealth. And this passage doesn't tell us anything else about the rich young ruler's life. I can't comment on where he is now because he may have gone home and a couple years later been converted to Christ. I don't know about the rest of his life. I can't comment on that. But I know that at this point he has made his decision. This mistake is truly tragic. It's one we must take heed of. It is in scripture for a reason. We've looked at the righteous discernment of Christ and and now we've just looked at the tragic delusion of the young ruler. And the third point um, that I want to look at and, and bring to a close this morning is the contrasting response of Zacchaeus. The contrasting response of Zacchaeus. Most of us know the story of Zacchaeus found in Luke 19. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. I'm not going to sing any more of the song, but I'm sure you know it. (laughs) You can come up and sing it later if you want, Gary. Um, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector in the city of Jericho. Incredibly wealthy as he made his money and wealth off ripping off people, taking too much tax from them. He lived an extravagant lifestyle. One day Jesus was coming into Jericho and Zacchaeus wanted to see him, but he was short in stature. So he climbed up into a sycamore tree. And as Jesus walked past, he looked up in the tree and he called him by name. He said, Zacchaeus, come down for I'm coming to your house for lunch. Immediately, Zacchaeus said to Jesus, may I say Zacchaeus, a sinful, wealthy man, much like the rich young ruler, encountered with Christ. You could, you could draw quite a, a vivid comparison here. Zacchaeus said to Jesus in Luke 19, 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, he's off to a good start already. The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. What a contrast that is. Here we have two men of significant wealth who have crossed paths with Jesus. One of them wants eternal life, but is not willing to part with his eternal possessions in order to gain it and follow Christ. On the other hand, we have Zacchaeus who immediately counted his wealth as worthless in the pursuit of Christ. 
Zacchaeus, in an act of true and genuine repentance, rebukes his wealth, repays those he has defrauded and turns to follow Christ. And the genuine nature of his conversion is confirmed by Christ in the next verse, as Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. That's the thought I want to let you consider today. What is your response to Christ in light of the world? Do you look more like the rich young ruler or Zacchaeus? And scripture here, it's such a vivid dichotomy of two different responses to Christ. And I'm not surprised why in Luke, they put these two stories so close together as a stark contrast. We are called to live lives that honor Christ in pursuit of Christ. And don't get me wrong, I'm not preaching a, a works-based gospel here. Um, I would hate to do that. Salvation is uh, through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. However, it is a central theme throughout Scripture that Christ calls those who follow him to refuse to follow their sin or idolize this world. It's something which is littered throughout the Gospels as Christ is speaking. Let's look at a few examples. Don't worry about turning there. I'll be going through quickly. Matthew 10, verse 38. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 27. Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters. Yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Those are some powerful and sobering statements from Christ. Even as I read that, it's so sobering. We're called to hate our own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters in the light of Christ. They're powerful statements, but we must take heed of them. We can rejoice, however, that God is merciful and gracious, and that God has equipped us for every good work that we may glorify Him. And as I bring this to a close now, there's two sets of people which I want to talk directly to. Firstly is to those in Christ today. To those today who are in Christ, can I ask you this question? What is a more accurate representation of your Christian walk? Selfish seeking or humble and joyful following? Christians are called to follow Christ. Jesus says it all throughout scripture, follow me. Follow me. What does that look like in your life? Is Christ first in your life? I've had to ask myself that question many times. What are the idols in our life that are taking the place of Christ? It's so often something which is so subtle that we don't notice it or we distract ourselves from it. Can I ask you today to stop and consider your life? Is Christ first in your life? Is he the Lord of your life as he is called to be in scripture? He's the only hope that we have. Why would we be clinging 
to the temporary things of this world to bring us joy. Can I plead with you today to consider that? To those today who do not know Christ, who have not accepted Christ as your saviour, all I can plead with you today is that you may consider Christ. Christ is the only source of true fulfilment. I'd be repeating myself if I say it again, um, but I'm not sorry for it because it's the most important thing I could say is that the things of this world will not satisfy. Only Christ will satisfy. Only Christ will last. Man was created to live in perfect relationship with God. But in an act of rebellion, man has sinned and separated itself from God. Since God is holy and loving, he can have nothing to do with sin. And our sin must be paid for in one of two ways. Through the blood of Jesus Christ or through an eternity in hell. God, in the greatest act of love and humility the world has ever seen, sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to come live on this earth, a sinless life, die a sinner's death, to take the punishment for all those who would choose to come to him. He would bear the weight of their sin so that they can answer that most profound question that the rich young ruler asked in the start, how may I inherit eternal life? Well, can I give you the answer now? It is turn to Christ and follow him. He didn't seem to get that. I ask that today you may understand that. And as we come into a time now where we consider Christ through the bread and through the cup, in this intentional time of the Lord's Supper, I ask that as you take the bread, you may consider the words of Christ as he said to his disciples. He says, this bread is my body. Eat this in remembrance of me. This wine is my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. As it says in scripture, as long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So today as we come to this and we go beyond, I ask you to consider Christ. Consider his sacrifice. Consider him in all of his glorious state, humbled to earth, humbled to the cross for you and for me. If there's anything in life that can sap away pride faster than anything, for me, it's considering our holy saviour hanging on that tree for me. How can I be prideful when I consider that? That's humbling. What's going to happen now is, is um, we're going to have the band come up um, and they're going to sing a song which I've asked them to sing. And we're going to do the, the first verse and the first chorus. Um, everyone's going to be sitting down and I'd ask you to consider the words and when, when Letitia signals, you can stand up and join in. Um, but what I've asked them to sing is the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, because I felt like it fit with the scripture very well. And, and what I want to con- you to consider especially um, is the chorus. And they're going to sing this song. And then after that, Gary's going to come up and give thanks for the bread and the cup. And we're going to move into communion. Let me just close by reading the chorus of this song. And I ask you to just sit there and consider that. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim 
in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. God, Lord, I come to you now and I just thank you for the truth of Scripture. I thank you for the story we have of the rich young ruler and the message that is sent by Christ that we are called to follow him and him alone. I pray that today we may, we may be able to consider Christ. May we be able to see with clarity and perspective the true nature of what it means to follow Christ and the true joy that is found in Christ. I thank you that you sent Christ down to be humbled and to die for us. I pray for those who do not know him. May today be the day of salvation for them. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. May we seek to go out this week and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.